scripture this morning is Mark 10, uh, verses 46 through 52. It's the story after the story we talked about last week, and they're connected. I'll get to that. Uh, so Mark 10, 46 through 52. You'll find it on the screen, but before we read, uh, let's pray. God, we ask that, uh, that you would speak as we open this book, as we listen to your word. We ask, oh God, that your voice would be the voice that we hear. Uh, Spirit, come and do what you do. And through the hearing of your creative word, we ask that you would create something new in us. That you would help us see like we've never seen before so that we can follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Mark 10, starting at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I just want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We will go that far. Mm. Okay, so as we enter into this story this morning, excuse me, I want us to to remember an observation that I made uh, last week because I think it's important for us as we enter into this story because again, as I said, uh, these two stories are connected. So last week, Remember, the story, the story went like this. Let me just sort of summarize it for you so that you can remember, and maybe if you weren't here, you, you, you don't know the story. So it goes like this. James and John, they sort of come up to Jesus, and they're all like, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Oh, goodness, the nerve, right? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say something like this. Well, Jesus, when you, when you get to Jerusalem and you come into your glory, you assume the throne in Jerusalem and you become king and you push out the Romans and you make Israel great again, we want one of us to be on one side of you and the other on the other side, your right and your left. What were they asking for? They were grasping for power. They thought that if they could get those positions sitting next to the king, it would be sort of, it would enhance their lives and everything would just be so amazing. So they're grasping after power. And Jesus was like something like this, oh, guys, 
you don't know what you're asking. You still don't get it. You still don't understand. You've got it all upside down. That's not the way I've shown you how to live. That's not anything I've taught you about. You just don't see it. And he says this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Even the son of man, he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these guys, these closest followers of Jesus, they're given to us as sort of seriously flawed people which I think is a good thing because we can identify with them. We can, we can sort of relate to them if we're honest about it because every single one of us can make a mess of things just like they did and every bit as badly as they did. Remember the observation I made last week. I said it seems that followers of Jesus can follow Jesus really closely for a long time and completely miss what he's saying as well as the implications that it has on their own lives. It seems that followers of Jesus can follow him really closely for a really long time and completely miss what he's saying, along with the implications it has on their own lives. So the disciples are given us as these people, yeah, don't follow Jesus like that. We could say about them, we could think about them as they were blind to the ways of Jesus and didn't know it. They just didn't see, right? So if they're given to us as don't follow Jesus like this, what do we do? I mean, seriously, these are Jesus's closest followers. We would think we would want to emulate them. We would want to do what they do. So where's the good example? How do we know how to follow? Where's the follow Jesus like this person, Give us something to shoot for, to aim for, sort of someone to, to live into. Like, do it like this. So who does Mark give us? Mark gives us the son of Timaeus. Mark gives us Bartimaeus, a guy who is literally blind. But he knows it. So the disciples are blind to the ways of Jesus and don't know it. Mark gives us a person who is blind and knows it. So this story is sort of a commentary on the previous story. Can we just stop for a moment and recognize the brilliance that is this book? It is so, so good. Dudes who are blind and don't know it. So look at here's a blind guy and he does know it. Right, so he gives us Bartimaeus to follow. I think he's saying follow Jesus like this guy. Have his attitude. So if you hadn't noticed, the story of James and John and our story this morning of Bartimaeus are linked by a question. After James and John asked Jesus to do for them whatever they asked, Jesus asked them a question. What do you want me to do for you? It's word for word. The blind beggar, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? So these two stories are linked by a question. Now, James and John, Jesus' closest followers, don't get what they want. But Bartimaeus, a guy who's on the bottom of the social ladder, a guy who's been pushed aside and set aside and marginalized his whole entire life for as long as he's been blind, 
He's the guy who gets what he asks for. So what's up with that? I have an idea. And I think the answer lies with what happens just before Jesus asks Bartimaeus what he could do for him. So let's follow the story, okay? There he was sitting on the dirty roadside where he'd been sitting for who knows how long, right? For how many years, we don't know. You know, begging for any money that people might throw his way. He was just trying to survive. Here's a guy who's just trying to make it to tomorrow. He was sitting there in his dirty, ratty clothes with his cloak laid out on his lap. So it was lying there on his lap because it was the only thing to keep him warm, to keep him comfortable. It was lying there because he was blind, and his cloak was the only thing there that would help him catch the money that people would throw his way. His cloak was the way he made money, the way he lived. Without the cloak, he would be uncomfortable. Without the cloak, he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to catch any money, right? Why are you going on and on about the cloak? Because his cloak literally was this guy's life. Then he hears that Jesus is in the crowd. So he cries out for him two different times. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus eventually hears his cry, his call for help over the rebuke of the crowd. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they did. They called to the blind man, cheer up. It's your lucky day. He's calling you. You've won the lottery. Now listen to what he does. With the cloak. I don't think this is I don't think this is a literary flourish. I don't think it's just a detail to throw in there just to be like, hey, use your imagination. I think this is literally the point of this little story. Listen to what he does with the cloak. Right? His only source of comfort, his only source of safety, his only source of income, his only source to help sustain his own life. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. How did Jesus know he had faith? How did Jesus, Jesus is just meeting this guy. How did he know he had faith? Because he threw his cloak aside Jesus knows that Bartimaeus has faith because he'd already given up his very life when he left it lying there on the ground in a rumpled heap along with his cloak. That's his life. He threw his cloak aside. He let go of everything. Wow. So there's this story about a tightrope walker. Maybe you've heard it before. This guy once strung a cable across Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side. And as thousands of people would watch, he would walk from one end of the tightrope to the other, and he would stand just above the rushing waters of Niagara Falls, just above him. And people would be like, oh my goodness, they were amazed. Right? And then just to sort of wow the crowd even more, he'd put a blindfold on and he'd walk across and then he'd 
walk back and they would all be amazed and they would clap. And then to make it even more interesting and more crazy, he would ride a bicycle across the tightrope to one end and to the, back to the other. And then he'd take a wheelbarrow and he'd push that across to one end and then back to the other. Well, as the story goes, one day, as he was pushing the wheelbarrow back and forth across, he called out to the crowd and he asked them whether or not they thought he could actually make it to the other side and back while pushing a person sitting in the wheelbarrow. And they were all like, of course you can. We've watched you. You are the greatest. You could totally do it. We believe in your abilities. We trust you. On and on they went. To which he responded, okay, I need a volunteer. I want you all to line up here in a single file line and get in the wheelbarrow and I'll push you across the other side and, and back and and you can prove you trust, you believe in my abilities. No one volunteered. Zero. Zilch. Crowd was silent. Uh-uh. Not going that far. Throwing his cloak aside. Throwing his entire life aside. He jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. Friends, here's the deal. Throwing off the cloaks of our old way of living, throwing off the, the cloaks of our security and our control, throwing off the, the cloaks of what we're comfortable with, what we're familiar with, I mean, these are profound acts of faith in Jesus. It means that we're willing not to just call out to Jesus, not to just speak the words of faith. Oh, Jesus, yes, I believe in your power, but to actually change the way we live. It means that we put our very lives in the wheelbarrow and trust that God's going to sustain us. Right, so the question that confronts us now, and I think confronts us every single day of our lives, is this. What are some of the cloaks we need to throw away? What are some of the cloaks that we need to throw off and leave in a rumpled heap on the side of the road so that we can follow Jesus more closely? I have a couple of ideas, and I'd like to share them with you. So, here's the first one. Maybe, maybe some of us need to throw off the cloak of comfort and safety in order to take some risks in following Jesus. Maybe we need to throw off the cloak of comfort and safety in order to actually take some risks in following Jesus. When's the last time you took a real risk in following Jesus? When's the last time any of us took a real risk in following Jesus? Because here's the deal. This was a risk for Bartimaeus. This was his real, this was his life. It was his comfort. It kept him warm and safe during cold nights, but he realized that following Jesus was totally worth it. So he took that risk, risk and he threw off his source of comfort and safety because we all wanna be comfortable, right? We all like safety. We do not like to take risks. It's scary. 
Leonard Sweet talks about how in Scotland there's this phrase, he has a brass neck. Have you heard that phrase before? He has a brass neck. Think about that literally. If you have a brass neck, you're going to be just fine. Right? It means that someone has so much faith that he's willing to stick his neck out. Right? People with brass necks are capable of sticking their necks into places that are risky, places where you might get your head cut off. And then he goes on and starts talking about how we human beings, we're all born with brass necks. Like when we're little, like children will try anything once. And I know that's true because I have three boys and they all used to be little. Now one of them, our oldest two are not climbers. Our youngest one, Micah, He's a climber still to this day. He loves climbing. One of his favorite things to do right now is to have us go over to the playground at school and watch him climb on the playground equipment in ways that you're not allowed to climb on the playground equipment, right? I remember when he was little, we'd turn our heads for five seconds and he would climb up on one of the chairs in our, on our dining room table. And for him, chairs weren't for sitting. Chairs were, he's like, 20 months old. Chairs were for climbing on, standing up, grabbing the back of, and shaking, and going back and forth, saying, ooh, mommy, daddy. Right? What he didn't realize was that he could flip that chair over, he could fall on his face and break every bone in his body. He didn't realize it, but he had a brass neck. He's like, eh, it's fine. Take a risk. We're all born with brass necks, but somehow we grow up and we lose them, and safety, and security, and comfort. Those are the things we desire. Risk-taking? I don't know. Throwing his cloak aside. Friends, when Jesus turns and asks us, what is it that we want? How will we respond? I mean, do we just want to be comfortable? Do we, do we want Jesus to simply enable us to keep doing what we've always been doing and just living our lives the way we've been living them? Do we want Jesus to tell us that, look, it's okay, you can keep sitting there by the side of the road, silent, and just live your life as usual? Is that what we want? I don't think so, because I believe that we, like Bartimaeus, I think we want to see again. I think we want to understand more. Seeing and understanding that go together. I think we want to be able to see life from a new perspective. I think we want to live lives of of passion, of purpose. We want to live lives of, of vision. So what is it in your life that's making you too comfortable? It's good every once in a while to start thinking about these kinds of things. What is making you too comfortable? Like what do you, is there something you need to risk? Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to somebody. That's uncomfortable. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from somebody. 
that's risky too because they might not give it. Maybe you need to ask help for help for your, for your addiction, your destructive behavior, your depression, your anxiety, your need for power and control. Maybe, maybe you need to examine the worldview or the theological system that has been handed to you. Maybe you need to, to examine the assumptions that you make about other people in this world. You can do that, you know. You can examine your own worldview. It's good for you. You can examine the theological system that's been given to you. You can ask questions about it. You can probe it. You can become uncomfortable with it if you'd like, and that's okay. You've got a whole community full of people here who will walk with you. You don't have to be afraid. I mean, sure, we might get bumped around a little bit. We might get bruised a little bit. But if Bartimaeus were here today, I think he'd tell us it's okay. Risk it. It's totally worth it. Risk it all. Risk your life because Jesus won't let you down. Throw off that cloak of comfort. Take a risk. You do want to follow Jesus more closely, right? What do you need to throw off that's making you too comfortable? So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Maybe some of us need to throw off our our cloaks of of self-centeredness. I'm going to repeat that one because it's probably the hardest one to do. Maybe we need to throw off our cloaks of self-centeredness. This This is hard. You know, Bartimaeus' cloak was the only way that he could sort of sustain his own life. He needed it to catch money that people would throw his way. And he threw off his cloak of self-centeredness, knowing that he might not ever get it back. And then after Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Rather than asking for a reward for power and control like James and John, he asked to be equipped for service. He asked for a new perspective. Master, let me see again. See, Bartimaeus, unlike James and John, weren't just mere consumers of religious goods. Like, he wasn't in this thing called following Jesus just for himself. Sure, he was healed, but look at what happens next. Again, Mark puts in these details so that we'll pay attention to them. He says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He doesn't stop to look at birds. He doesn't stop to admire the flowers. He doesn't even look at the faces who are staring back at him. No, not for Bartimaeus. There's no time for any of that. He's going to follow Jesus. He was healed so that he could follow Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. The road to Jerusalem that would eventually lead to the greatest sacrifice in the history of creation when the God who became human would give up his life for the sake of the whole world. Friends, all of us, we're all sitting on the side of the road. We all are. We're all sitting in some sort of blindness, in some sort of impairment. But I think that what we might be learning here this morning 
is that the healing comes, health comes, wholeness comes, vision comes, only in the letting go. The throwing off of all that prevents us from following Jesus as closely as we can. When Jesus confronts us and asks us the question, what do you want me to do for you? What he's really asking, I think, is this. What do you need me to do for you so that you can follow me more closely? Because that, all oh, that, I will gladly do for you. Friends, Jesus threw off his cloak of of comfort when he left heaven to become a human being. He threw off that cloak of comfort to show us exactly what God is like. He threw off that cloak of comfort to show us exactly what it looks like to really live an authentic human life, giving yourself away to the people around you every single day. He threw off his cloak of self-centeredness and his cloak of comfort when he became human and when he gave up his life on the cross. And look what happened. The father didn't let him down. The father didn't let him go because three days later, he raised him. So let's throw off those cloaks of comfort and self-centeredness, and anything else that's preventing us from following Jesus. Let's take some risks already. And let's have confidence that God won't ever let us down. And God won't ever let us go. What do you need to throw off today? Let's pray.